You're listening to the podcast This Slavery, episode three, Black Legs, Beers and the Truth Appears. The population of Ethel Carney's Lancashire doubled and doubled again as economic migrants travelled in from the countryside and the home nations for work in the cotton mills. Ethel and her socialist friends knew how easy it was to pit groups of workers against each other and without working class unity there would be no revolution at all. Ethel introduces the most frightening and dangerous economic migrants of all, blacklegs. The blacklegs train came in. The blacklegs' poor scarings of humanity tried to look unmoved by the greeting they received. Cringing visibly, half-starved, defeated wreckage of industrialism. They made a tragic, pathetic procession through the shouting crowds. It's up to Rachel Martin and Jack Baines as union leaders, along with old socialist Bob Steiner, to try and keep the strikers from turning on the blacklegs. When a picket goes to throw a stone, Bob Steiner quickly steps in. Nay, lass, don't stone they all, mate! Jesus Christ, don't stone them, hellfire! Look at them! Haven't they been stoned enough? If they wants to throw a stone, it'll Bobby! I could tear him limb from limb, she told him. I could tear him limb from limb with me own hands. Scum of the earth they are. Aye, but they're our scum, not the scum that rises to the top. Perhaps some of Ethel's readers would have agreed with the stone thrower. It's easier to blame migrants instead of the system that created them. But it becomes harder when the migrant has a human face and a moment of dignity. Rachel engages a blackleg, trying to enter the factory yard. She caught one man by his torn, ragged sleeve. Don't go in, mate. We're starving too. Better to starve than be a traitor. We've almost won. Don't go in. He hesitated, cursing, asking her to let go of him. Don't go in. He tried to shake himself free. What do we get if we don't go in? We shall think of you always as a pal. Let go, he almost whined. She released him, but she went on talking to him. With an oath, he swung himself free at last, took a few steps towards the mill, hesitated, stood still, then turned round and walked out through the gates. He turned round once and saw Rachel, saluted and crept away, a shadow among the shadows, returning to the hell from which he had come. Ethel is ruthless when she writes about the capitalist men in her story. Their characters are loathsome. They care only for profit. Ethel makes it clear that they are to blame for the condition of their workers and not the immigrants, unmarried mothers, drunks and dossers who are usually blamed. Ethel treats these characters with respect and compassion, leaving no room for prejudice. Once, when Hester was desperate for work, she walked to a distant mill and witnessed a girl arguing with the master. Get him on this self, called back a young woman with the colouring of a gypsy. There was something superb about her. 
Ethel creates an Irish immigrant and gives her a character of great kindness. Akushla, they've put me up more than I can eat. Take this and ask Mrs Thingumbob in the watchtower to chalk you up a pot of tea to bridge up Flynn. Jack Baines finds a woman on his doorstep in the middle of the night. Some poor prostitute, some piece of wreckage, washed up on a grim shore. Perhaps she was drunk, and what if she were? Wasn't she a sister of his? The best example of respect for the casualties of capitalism is Bob Steiner. Bob is an alcoholic and drunkenly weaves his way throughout the whole story. He's a poor husband and father and ends up a tramp living in a doss house. Yet Ethel has created him with deep affection. Bob chalks socialist propaganda on walls and flags. Thousands of people would read that challenge in the dawn, going down the old cinder path to the mill gates. Women who were mothers in their spare time would read it. Little half-timers would stop and spell it out. Men in greasy caps carrying their bagging tins would read it. Somehow, somewhere, it would weave itself in with the grind and roar of the ten-hour day. Despite Bob's failings, no one judges him. Bob is a fantastic socialist, well-read, compassionate and willing to sacrifice anything for the cause of revolution. The forces of capitalism crush Bob's life and health over and over again, but Bob never gives up the cause. Workers of the world unite, he wrote upon the fence. Dimly, his mission loomed up before him to write on fence, on snow or sand, everywhere, the good, true, unadulterated message. None would know that he who wrote was an outcast. The broken body, the broken boots would not be known. One dream shone down the twisted track of his life, the dream of the dawn, where fellowship would link all roads, all seas together, and brotherhood make of all men one family. During the strike, Bob is a hero. The blacklegs are billeted in his doss house, and he uses all his savings to get them drunk. They'll new and go in the morning, he said. The reds will be too thick and they'll be as sick as bowows. There'll be 80 looms less running in the morning. Who says I'm not picketing? Jesus Christ! If we could only get some wagonettes and take them back where they came from, I'd die happy. Bob has unshakable principles and holds to them even to his death. In the end, we see how much his wife and children love and admire him. It's the love we remember, not the drink. As we go marching and marching In the beauty of the day Ethel also gives us little insights into the unspoken solidarity between women. The things they do behind the backs of their men to keep the world turning safely for each other. Perhaps some male readers didn't know it was there. The Martins' neighbours have a mortgage and the man of the house has forbidden any acts of generosity. But still, when he's not at home, his wife finds a way to pass on food and tea whenever she can.
The woman next door, with a realisation of the circumstances of the house, will pop a tousled head over the wall and call, Mrs Martin, Mrs Martin, in a tired, shrill voice, and say with a look of tired apology, I thought you might be able to use this up. When Sanderson finds Hester in very vulnerable circumstances, he manoeuvres her into a cafe and attempts to pay for a meal to put her under an obligation. The cafe women recognise Sanderson and are familiar with his creepy ways. They instantly plan a rescue. Are you sure? Aye, I know him in dark. That sure? It's him as goes to that woman in Murray Jane Street? <laughs> it's the same old dog. Try and warn that lass. She's only a bit of a kipper. I'll keep him at the counter whilst I clears the plates off. Tell her he's a wrong un. He's trying to get round her, you can see. She looks poor, but that's nout compared with other things. The capitalist system is violent in numerous ways. It's responsible, directly or indirectly, for all the deaths in the community. The exploitation of labour and the degradation and sexual exploitation of women. Even though some of the characters are obviously destined to sacrifice their lives, it still comes as a shock. Socialism in this story is not armed. The workers are resistant, not rebellious. Ethel is clearly advocating for respect and equality between all workers. But what about love? How can romance flourish in this brave new world? Black Legs Beers and The Truth Appears is a Pendle Radicals podcast commissioned by Mid Pennine Arts in partnership with Lancashire County Council and Libraries Connected. Pendle Radicals is part of the Pendle Hill programme, supported by national lottery players through the Heritage Fund. This podcast is part of the BBC novels that shape the world project, funded by Arts Council England. A huge thank you to all involved.